Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 30 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Clio. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Hey, Tom, we had a lot of interest in our recent podcast about hardware choices. And there's no doubt that many people want new hardware these days, like iPads and iPhones. And although it's really simple to buy new hardware at home, it's kind of difficult to get the newest hardware uh, at work these days. That might be about to change, and, and that's our topic for today, right? That's right. In this episode, we'll discuss the idea of allowing firm or other company employees to use their own computer equipment at work, and whether this is a trend worth following. Uh, in our second segment, we will answer a couple of questions from the mailbag, and as usual, we will end with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our main topic uh, today, home technology in the workplace. Dennis, you were listening to a Financial Times podcast, I think. I listened to it also that, that got you thinking about this issue. And I've worked with clients where home technology in the workplace may become a reality. What about the podcast caught your attention and why should we be thinking about it? Well, well Tom, I, I think that uh, this is sort of an interesting extension of the whole cloud notion. Um, and you might want to think of it even as the private cloud, where you're saying, Hey, if I can start to connect remotely to my office and do things over the internet in a secure sort of virtual private network kind of way, um, then maybe the hardware I'm using to connect isn't so important. And if my home computer is something I like more and it's secure enough and it works, why, why don't I use that? And so in one way, it's an interesting extension of the cloud notion. Um, in the other way, it's, uh, this recognition of that now, maybe the first time ever, we're, we're at a point where our home technology tends to be a lot better and a lot newer than what we have at work, uh, you know, from cell phones to computers. So, um, and that's, and in the Financial Times podcast, that was one of the key points that we've really changed uh, directions in that it really is true that the work technology tends to be the lesser technology that we're using on a daily basis. Well, you know, we, I want to take a step back um, be, because this whole idea of of, of using your home technology uh, to, to to do work is is to me anyway a little bit more than just using the cloud. I think that the cloud and virtualization is a big part of it, but I think that there's a hardware component to it that we're going to need to discuss, and that is. That is, is that uh, do we continue to use our home computer? Do we use um, a computer that we're allowed to buy just because we don't like the ones that the f that the firm or the company has, and we want to uh, we want to get something that that's more to our personality and something we're we're more used to using? Because those are gonna that's gonna raise a bunch more issues than than just the virtualization. I worked with at least one client in the past couple of years where they the company it was a fairly large company was actually coming to the conclusion 
conclusion that they could save a lot of money by uh, requiring their employees to uh, buy their own computer equipment. And I think that it was primarily laptops and smartphones, not necessarily desktops. But uh, they were going to go to them and say, uh, you can use whatever you want, but it'll be at your expense. And this was something that they were thinking of as being cost savings. Is is Do you see that there's a cost savings from, uh, from a, a plan like this, Dennis? Well, I was at a firm where we had uh, a set of approved hardware that you could, and I use quotes around the term buy, but basically you had a stipend that would cover the the common setup. And then uh, there were there were uh, there was a list of approved hardware, and you could pick one on the list. Or in some cases, if you wanted to spend money out of your own pocket, you could get a better computer. But it was you know it it was understood it came out of out of your own pocket. So I think that notion has been out there, and so in a in a way, it gives you you know you have a budget. You put people in that budget, but you also give people flexibility. So I think that notion has been out there, and there are some potential savings. I don't know that people are really going to go so far as as the employer is going to make you go out and buy uh, a program. There's probably going to be some stipend, but I do know some people uh, who have just started using their computer when they they come to come to work so there could be some things out there um, I think the companies do like to get some kind of standardization because uh, just for the support issues alone to say hey at least we know we have kind of a consistent environment out there well I, I'm aware I read a story um, a couple years ago that Citrix uh, was running a trial program where they were allowing their employees to to buy a computer. I think that they were providing a stipend for them um, and then allowing them to buy the computer. And, and they were also requiring them to purchase their own support, you know, maintenance contracts that, that would require that uh, 24 hour maintenance on on their equipment. Uh, but in terms of cost savings, I, what strikes me is that at least when I was working for the firm, um, our firm IT department had great purchasing power, being able to purchase in bulk, where um, you know the individual consumer is probably going to wind up spending a lot more on their own computer to uh, to, to buy it. And so, I, I, it may be a cost saving for the company, but uh, I think that in the long run, in terms of the the, the increased prices on the uh, computers, you may be actually spending more than what a company could buy on a more standard bulk purchase of laptops. Am I wrong about that? Well, I, you know, you make a good point there. And, and I mean, frankly, I saw at, at uh, my own firm the, the, it being sort of a benefit or a perk that you actually were able to take advantage of a f- the firm's discount price. Um, and then you had a stipend that cover, covered what you had. So you, so you got a really good price. You were able to, to really get a good computer for, for the money that you spent. And, and if you decided you wanted to go out of pocket, then you had a really nice get, discount. Um, on on the uh, on the computer. Well, um, let, let, let me let me let me interrupt you then and ask another question. Let's say that let's say that you uh, go out of pocket and you buy your own computer. Um, do you own that computer? Is it is it your computer to own at that point? Well, you know that that's a big issue, and I think that any any firm that's setting up this type of program is going to have to to deal with that. Um, and you know i it's it's a tricky question it's the same thing with cell phones and uh, you know when people leave firms these days i sometimes tell people when they're leaving a firm that you know on the way out they might want to negotiate 
the, you know, to be able to take their laptop with them, you know, but I think that that's going to be a sort of case by case. Firms will decide it. I don't think you want to, to leave that, that question unclear. I mean, probably the, the general sense is that the, the firm might, might own, you know, own, still own that laptop, especially whether there's a stipend. When you're bringing your own home computer in and attaching it to the network and the, the firm's not buying something for you, um, I think it's going to be hard for a firm to say that they own that laptop. I agree, and I think that that creates a whole set of issues, especially from the uh, the standpoint of you know the ability to monitor employee activity when you own the equipment. Uh, you know, I've given many speeches before that talk about uh, talk about how an employer has the right to monitor the computer activities of its employees on equipment that it owns and on internet connections that it owns, and I think that that argument gets to be a little little more tenuous. When that device is owned by uh, by uh, by the individual, and I think that that person there has probably a greater expectation of privacy in the uh, in the communications they have there, and they probably can can get away. I, mean, I hate to, to be the negative one on this topic, but uh, can probably get away with a lot more uh, simply because they can then claim, "Hey, it's my computer. I can do anything I want to on it." Well, and I, I would say that people, you know, firms who want to go into this have to go in with your eyes wide open and, and you're, I think you're going to cover those issues in your code of conduct or your, you know, employee manual or, or your, you know, uh, technology policy. You're going to address those issues directly. So, so you don't have questions about that. I mean, there aren't, there's, there, there's no question that a lot of issues are going to rise as you use a uh, any piece of equipment for both home and work purposes and you know and you have data on hard drives and how do you keep that separate how do you keep it secure i mean we might as well dive right into the security issue tom because that is that is huge so uh how do i keep my work data safe do i even allow people to to save to a hard drive can i keep people from even printing work uh you know information and documents out at home uh you know lots of issues like that do i need to encrypt hard drives i mean typically what's involved here when you allow somebody to use their own equipment to connect to your network you're using a virtual private network a secure tunnel in uh you know, uh, authentication, you know, other security uh, measures are in place where you have a, a huge amount of control over what's going on and then not a lot or maybe not anything kind of leaking onto the actual hardware or the actual hard drive. So, um, lots, lots of issues there in, in keeping it safe in, in both the data and what you would do with it. And I'm, Tom, I'm, I'm sure not just security, but I think in the electronic discovery world, this raises a lot of issues as well. Oh, there's no question. I think that one, when you um, increase the number of different types of devices that a company is dealing with and that is having to, uh, to, to, to potentially support, you increase the number of places where data can be kept and you're going to require uh, your IT department, your legal folks to uh, be able to understand how to get to that information and 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 where it is. And I think that I'll, I'll say this once and it'll apply a bunch of times during this conversation. I think that to a certain extent, virtualization may help with this, being able to keep everything in one place and only working, working with it in one place so that you're safe 
saving little to no information on your desktop or your laptop, I think helps to solve that issue quite a bit. But but it just is a logical. It follows logically that um, you're going to wind up uh, uh, with a lot more e-discovery risk, the more different types of devices and computers that you're using in your company. Well, and, and the other thing is that a lot of firms have had uh, remote access from home computers, um, either dial-up connections from PC Anywhere, you know, things like that for, you know, 10, 15, maybe even more years than that. And so, um, when you, th when you think about that, you say, well, I've added in a way, um, maybe in a limited way, I've sort of added everybody's home computers, uh, to my network and they're sort of now kind of within my security perimeter. And now it's, as we have more sophisticated technology at home, it's not just the home computer that I'm accessing the firm uh, network from that I, that home may have its own home network and it might be wireless and that wireless network might not be secured. And so you have a much more extensive perimeter out there that of where your extended network um, is going to. And so um, we've sort of always had these ideas and, and maybe through this, these types of programs, uh, you know, where you're saying people can get their own uh, uh, laptops, can use those things. Maybe you, maybe that enforces a little more discipline and control over what I suspect in many firms is, is a pretty, uh, pretty loose enforcement of, you know, once of, of what computers are actually dialing into the network. Yeah, I think that's a that's a definite problem. And I think that that sort of ties in with what my other area of concern with um with this setup is, and that's the whole issue of support uh, and, and who is going to support all of the, the the different computers that are being uh, that are being added to the network. Obviously, if it's a home computer, uh, unless there is some specific agreement to the contrary, the employee is going to be responsible for supporting the, the home computer. I think that your firm to give a list of pre-approved devices suggests that these are the devices that we are prepared to support and able to support, but the companies that don't have that um, won't be able to support it. So they're either going to uh, you're either going to have an increased soft cost in your uh, IT department having to support and learn to support those devices. But if you if you don't do that, if you decide to make the uh, the the employee responsible for that support, I think you run into issues as well. For example, with Citrix, they required that uh, all the employees have a a, a 24 hour maintenance contract uh, to allow the repair or support person to come out. Where it, it might be the case that if that uh, had been a supported device, they could have been serviced much quicker and be up and running. So what's the business cost lost from that? And 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 I've always, I, I hate to say it, but I re relying on employees to support themselves is, I think, not always uh, a, a winning proposition. Well, they're still going to call into the IT department. You know, it's uh, as I'm, uh, you know, thinking about what you're saying that I know our Mac friends would say, well, if you let people with Macs connect, you just do away with the whole support issue because Macs are perfect and they never have any issues. <laughs> of so, course not. Um, but 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 I, I say that sort of only half flippantly because because we are starting to see some support issues because you know our 
our replacement cycle is a little bit shorter, I think, now at home, especially on cell phones, um, than, it, than it is at work. And we just have newer stuff and newer software at home. And so you're starting to run into some of those, you know, some of those issues because people are using newer programs, newer equipment. Uh, they've, you know, different expectations. So um, I think the support is is starting to get trickier. And, and that's why I think, you know, as we said, you know, virtualization, the Citrix approach, uh, uh, virtual private network, uh, you know, in a, and I'm using this term really usefully, it's sort of a private cloud where we're saying, okay, here's, we're, we're exposing our, or we're making our, our firm network available to people in a variety of ways over the internet. Um, then we're starting to say, well, if we can do that and use that sort of cloud-based approach, at least conceptually, then it doesn't matter so much what the hardware is. And so it could be a laptop, it could be the home desktop, it could be an iPhone or any other smartphone that allows you to, to access something over the internet. Before we move on to our next segment, uh, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our new sponsor, Clio. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for our free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code KMR for a 25% discount. Engage your brain. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all the great legal podcasts. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Hey, Tom, let's answer some questions from our audience. And uh, let me remind people they can always contact us with legal technology questions that we'll answer for them on our podcast. The first one, um, we, I've gotten this question a lot lately. Uh, and because of the changes in fa Facebook has made to their privacy, um, people are saying, is it time to quit Facebook? What do you think about that? You know, I've, I we've been hearing it a lot. I've been seeing it a lot. I've been seeing lots of people uh, quitting Facebook. Uh, but, you know, actually, the folks that I see quitting Facebook more often than not are sort of the techies who are more on top of the privacy issue than the general person who's using Facebook. I, I'm, I'm a little conflicted on the whole issue because, uh, admittedly, Facebook, I think, doesn't care a lot about our privacy. But at the same time, they do allow you to keep private 
what you want to keep private. Now, the problem is, is that it's just very complicated to do, and and, and it can take it can take a while to to navigate through all of it and figure out uh, how to keep yourself private. Um, I I was able to go through my privacy settings in about ten minutes, ten or fifteen minutes, and get everything set the way I wanted to. I think one of the main rules is if you're going to stay with Facebook is to check those privacy settings regularly and make sure that something hasn't changed because Facebook does introduce new privacy settings without telling you. And, and the default is always set to uh, to showing everything rather than to allow you to opt in and, and do what you want to do. But uh, I, what I am encouraged, there are a couple of interesting new tools out there that I've been sort of playing around with that can help scan your privacy settings and see where you are on Facebook. One of them is called Reclaim Privacy. And it's a, a really interesting tool. It kind of scans the major issues and tells you whether you're private, whether you're not private, whether you're insecure, and it gives you tips and helps you fix those problems um, if you want to stick around with Facebook. My advice, Dennis, is to, to, to be careful. Don't quit Facebook if you're willing to uh, take a little bit of time to learn uh, to learn the privacy settings and make sure that those privacy settings are right for you. Would you differ in, any, in your advice, Dennis? You know, there's this number that's 500 million. And when I think about Facebook, I can, can't stop thinking about that. And 500 million is what we believe is the number of Facebook accounts there are. And so I'm not sure that this idea of making this noisy, I'm quitting Facebook, never having anything to do with it again, um, idea uh, really makes a lot of sense. And to turn your back on that kind of audience and that kind of adoption of, of anything. So I, I will say that as a baseline. I found that... Uh, you know, I've, I've adjusted my privacy settings on Facebook several times. I wrote an, uh, a column for the ABA Journal about privacy settings on Facebook. In the recent change, what I found was that there were some settings in applications that had access to your information that were a little bit hard to find and took a while to clean clean out. So I think I spent about um, maybe half an hour uh, working on privacy settings recently on Facebook, kind of getting it to to where I wanted it. But I think you really, if you're if you're in Facebook, you know the issue. There's there's plenty of information out there. I think it's um, actually a little bit discouraging to me that that the most techie people are saying I'm going to quit Facebook um, and look into other alternatives because I think that they can give the rest of us information about how to set the privacy settings. And they can advocate, I think, really effectively uh, for Facebook to to make uh, the the privacy settings better. And I know Facebook is talking about um, simplifying its approach to privacy settings. So I I suspect it's premature to quit Facebook. Um, and I just don't know at this point really whether um, if you're in there and it's 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 working for you that it makes sense to to get out of there. But you know people need to think carefully, very carefully about it because there are real issues. I think you're right. And, you know, Dennis, uh, I think one of the reasons why uh, the uh, techie folks are leaving Facebook in droves may be because uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the founder, uh, really hasn't behaved like most techies who consider him to be one of them would like for a steward of that much data to behave. And I think this is their protest or act of rebellion against him for what they see as a bad business practice. Let's let's move on to our next. 
Yeah, I have a second question, which is actually for me, Tom, because, you know, uh, we share bookmarks and things through Google Reader. And so I, when you share things, I see those. And I saw that you marked something uh, unless they're so called the gist gadget. And it sort of looked to me like some kind of maybe social media dashboard, but it looked really interesting to me. So. I'm curious what what you found out about uh, either Gist or the Gist gadget, or whether that's just something you're still investigating. Well, I will say that that sharing items through Google Reader is a great way to learn what other people think are important. I'm following not a whole lot of people, but I'm following people that that I want to know more about what they think is important, and so getting that information uh, and finding things that I wouldn't otherwise find on my own, I think is a great way to learn about new things and, and, and find them on the internet. The gist gadget, uh, is, is a, an extension of a tool that I've have used in the past, haven't used a lot recently. And it's, it's gist.com and, uh, it's currently in beta. What it does is it takes your contacts and it runs them through, uh, its search engine and comes up with, uh, uh, sort of a social profile of that individual. Um, items on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, blog posts, anything on the internet. It's a little bit of a of an intelligence gathering tool. If you want to learn more and understand more about people, uh, it's a very interesting online interface that gives you a dashboard uh, where you can kind of see what's going on with all of your, uh, your, your contacts. It'll let you research the companies that those people are affiliated with, that your contacts are affiliated with. And they recently, in the past week or so, debuted a gadget for Google Apps. And unfortunately, I can't use it, but I did a little bit of research on it. Uh, I can't use it because I don't have Google Apps for business. But if you are using Google Apps for business, this might be something worth looking into. When you install the gadget uh, and you receive an email from someone, uh, the Gist gadget will open up a little module in the bottom of each email and give you the information you need to know about that person. It's an email from somebody you don't recognize. And at the bottom, you've got their latest tweets or their latest posts on Facebook or LinkedIn. Uh, and it gives you a little bit of intelligence about that person. And so I think it's a really interesting tool, um, both for the people you do know and the people that you don't know. I wish that it were available to the to the free users of Google. But for right now, it's just a free download for people who have the Google Business Apps uh, suite. Well, Tom, we certainly are living in a world where there's more information available about each of us, and it's very readily available. Yeah, no but kidding. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. You know, this week, I'm going to uh, recommend a book that I just finished last week that was really a great book. It's called Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard by Chip and Dan Heath. This is, I think, the second book that I've read from them. And... Um, I, I started to read it because one, it's a it's a new book that I've seen recommended a lot. But I'm starting to do a lot of things at work surrounding change management and how to get people to change within an organization and change the way that they're doing things with regard to their uh, electric records uh, management. And um, this book is a very ba I won't call it basic. I will say that it's a, a a very easy to understand premise on how people can be made to change. You know, whether you want to quit smoking or lose some weight or whether you want to turn around an entire population uh, and get them to drink 1% milk instead of whole milk. Um, this book kind of gives some very interesting ideas on how to do that. We'll post a link in the show notes on how to get there. Dennis. 
And Tom, I, I've been thinking a lot about time shifting of lately and time shifting of, of media. Someone, actually a number of people have called podcasting TiVo for radio. And it's especially true with, with NPR that if you're not able to listen to something in real time, you just grab a podcast of that and listen to it when you want. And so, um, what I'm recommending is something called Free Quarter 4 from a company called Applian, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, what it does, this is just a very simple, easy-to-use uh, software tool. It actually works like a, a, a Firefox plugin for those of you who use Firefox, and it records whatever sound is going through your computer. So if you see a YouTube video, you don't really have time to watch it or uh, or, or listen to it at the time, you can record it, throw it on to, onto your iPod, listen to it when you typically do. Now, of course, I'll, I'll let you make your own determinations about how the, the copyright rules might apply, might or might not apply in those cases. But just as a simple tool, when you find stuff on the internet, you just want to grab it and listen to it, shift it to a time that where you could listen to it easily. I've never, I've not found anything that's an easier way to do that simple type of recording, save something as an MP3, and then listen to it, listen to it later so that you don't have to actually be on the internet looking at the video right at the time that you're you're listening to it. So, very useful tool for for people who who like to uh, to grab audio in in that kind of way. Excellent. I'm downloading it as we speak. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on our show notes wiki, which is located at tkmreport.com. We're also on Twitter at tkmreport. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Start bringing this podcast into your office. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.